Al Jazeera podcast. Will Hezbollah launch an all-out war on Israel? The Lebanese armed group has exchanged fire with Israeli military but stopped short of using the most powerful missiles in its arsenal. So what could happen if it launches a full offensive? I'm James Bayes and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our panel of guests to discuss this further in Athens. It's Nicholas No, editor-in-chief of the Beirut-based MiddleEastWire.com and news website. He's also editor of Voice of Hezbollah, the statements of Saeed Hassan Nasrallah. In Tel Aviv, it's Yuri Dromi, founding president of the Jerusalem Press Club. He's also a retired colonel in the Israeli Air Force. In Brussels is Elijah Magnier, military and political analyst. He's covered military conflict in the Middle East for the past 30 years. A warm welcome to you all. Thank you very much for talking to us. Um, if I could start perhaps with you, Nicholas. You're today in Athens, but you've been based for many years in Beirut. You speak to people in Lebanon all the time. It's where you're permanently based. Can you tell me what is the reaction so far from people, ordinary people you speak to, to what's going on in Gaza? Well, I actually just returned from Tunisia, where the outpouring of Tunisians onto the streets in support of Palestinians is tremendous, the largest street protest that they've seen since the fall of the Ben Ali regime in 2011. In Lebanon and elsewhere in the Arab world, I'll let Lebanese and Arabs speak for themselves. But I think what we're seeing, and me as an observer, someone 20 years in Lebanon uh, is, is seeing and speaking with friends and trying to find my way back there right now, is... Uh, is really uh, two things. One is great anger over the scenes that are unfolding, over the death and destruction. Uh, great anger as well and frustration that there seems to be little to stop uh, the devastation moving forward. And I think amongst Lebanese friends and loved ones and colleagues, a great fear amongst many of them, uh, you know, most of whom are, of course, civilians or unaffiliated or affiliated with political parties that have a quite different position than Hezbollah do. And they are quite concerned that a devastated country, which is currently Lebanon, could see even wider devastation if indeed the border skirmishes, which now many of us are considering a kind of de facto state of war, if those expand. And if they do expand, I think the, the general consensus is that the destruction in Lebanon and likely in Israel and perhaps elsewhere is going to be tremendous, certainly in Lebanon. And that's exactly what the Israelis have, of course, promised. Yuri, you're a former uh, spokesperson for Israeli governments, but you're also a military man in the past. Um, I want your assessment. Uh, Nicholas just used the word skirmishes. Other people say clashes. What would you say, how would you describe what's been going on in the north to this point? I think Hezbollah or Nasrallah actually is testing the water. Uh, we debate among ourselves whether there was a master plan that uh, Hamas starts first and then uh, Hezbollah moves in when Israel is uh, sucked in into the Gaza quagmire. Uh, but this way or another, um, uh, obviously Hezbollah needs to show some solidarity, but I think Nasrallah is still licking the wounds from, and, and so many Lebanese as well are licking the wounds from uh, 2006. And then I think he settles with those skirmishes, I would call, the, uh, call them uh, indeed, uh, and uh, hoping that perhaps that Israel will uh, make the first move and then the blame could uh, lie on the, the Israeli side. 
Elijah, can I get your assessment of what you think is going on? Because um, it has been getting slowly worse, slowly more intense. In fact, Saturday was the worst day of violence so far in the north. I think Hezbollah is already in the war, which the Israelis are not realising yet. First of all, Hezbollah attacked the radar site, taking the initiative in the Sheba farms that is occupied by the Israelis and considered as a Lebanese territory, and imposing an unspoken rules of engagement on the Israelis. Secondly, Hezbollah expanded the scope of its attack, targeting area along the borders with Israel, which are 100 kilometers from the Nakura to the Mount of Hermon, on all the borders, including to the Golan Heights, the Syrian-occupied Golan Heights. Thirdly, Hezbollah is engaged in fighting inside the territory controlled by Israel, rather than defending itself in the Lebanese soil. That means, for the first time in the history of Israel, the battle has been moved to the other territory and not happening on the territory that is under the attack of the Israeli army, because normally it's Israel that takes initiative to start a war. Fourthly, Hezbollah has engaged by mobilizing all its elite forces along the border, showing that they have evacuated all the training camps, all the military facilities, and leaving only concentration area to engage with the Israelis. That is an indication for the Israeli militaries on the other side of the borders that Hezbollah is already at war and is starting within the first two kilometers, and now it has expanded to five kilometers. Fifth, Hezbollah is already blinding all the Israelis' electronic surveillance capability by removing them, bombing them uh, using the snipers, removing all the thermal surveillance cameras, the sensors, the spying devices, communication towers, etc. That is forcing the Israeli army to rely on drones and on physical patrols, exposing them to Hezbollah laser-guided uh, missiles and hitting so far more or less 40 Israelis between killed and wounded. By starting all this military operation, Hezbollah had drawn to itself three Israeli divisions, including special forces, to make sure that they are not going all to Gaza and they are engaged there, forcing the Israeli army to create two lines of defense on the borders with Lebanon. The war has started already, but it's in a different way. OK, let me bring in Nicholas on that, because, Nicholas, you literally wrote the book on the words of Hezbollah's leader. So can I perhaps give you the words of Hezbollah's deputy leader, uh, Naim Kassim, Sheikh Naim Kassim? Um, we are trying to weaken the Israeli enemy and let them know we are ready. He was speaking at a funeral for a fighter, and he went on that they were keeping three Israeli army divisions tied up in the north instead of preparing to fight in Gaza. Exactly the point uh, that Elijah just made. What's yeah, your exactly comment the on those point. words? I mean, yeah, I, I would say, I mean, first of all, you know, we, we translated uh, and, and communicated some of these uh, speeches and interviews over the years, which I think provide the basis for the tactical and strategic moves that Elijah and others are describing right now that we're seeing. 
And I think one of the most important things, if you actually look at what Hezbollah leaders uh, have said, actually, quite publicly or in private as well, I think what you need to do as a first order of business is push back against what, what Yuri just said, which is that Hezbollah somehow is still licking its wounds from the 2006 war. I think quite in reverse, that is regarded as a divine victory. Indeed, that's what Nasrallah has called it. That's what you cited Naim Qasim, the deputy head, has called it. That was actually viewed and continues to be viewed as a major strategic victory for Hezbollah. And I would actually also agree with some analysts who say that that really marked a turning point where Israel's qualitative military edge, we can see a steady decline vis-a-vis -vis the military forces that Hezbollah has been able to build up, that they have developed through the war in Syria, whether you're for it or against it, they have, ex they have extraordinary battle-hardened experience there. And to say that they look back at 2006 as a kind of something that where they it cost a tremendous amount, indeed, it's quite the reverse. And Hezbollah leaders are actually very, let's say, buoyed by the experiences of 2006 and afterwards. In fact, they view that as having been a victory that lays the framework for what comes in what they call this next great war. If we're there right now, today, we are not at that moment. But I think all of us probably agree that the factors kind of that might spark this off or lead it to an acceleration into an even deeper conflict um, are all building up uh, by the hour, unfortunately. If I could bring you in, Yuri. Yes, Yuri. Do you think Israel is underestimating the strength of Hezbollah? No, no, I don't think so. But I think Hezbollah is underestimating the strength of Israel. And the fact that they look at the, uh, what uh, Nicholas Joseph said about uh, looking at the 2006 campaign as a victory reminds me of the Egyptians who have a museum of the uh, victory in the Ramadan war, in, in uh, the Yom Kippur war. And uh, if you remember, it started with them, both the Syrians and the uh, Egyptians, taking us by surprise. And in one week uh, or 10 days, we were in the outskirts of Damascus and uh, 101 kilometers, not from Tel Aviv, but from Cairo. Now, 50 years have passed since. Uh, so the question is, is indeed, as was said, the, the quality edge of, uh, of Israel is uh, declining. Uh, I think uh, both Hamas and probably Hezbollah will find out very soon that this is not the case and uh, that the IDF has really learned the lessons. And um, uh, I, I, if I'm not uh, mistaken, then the Nasrallah himself is in the bunker for 17 years, I believe. And uh, if he used to boast of being the defender of Lebanon, I don't think that many in Lebanon treats him like that. And, and in general, the idea that, that Nasrallah is uh, promoting, that Israel is weakened, Israel uh, is like the spider's web theory, etc. This is misinterpreting the, what democracy is. And they saw, they looked at the protest uh, uh, here in Israel in the last six or nine months and, uh, and, and took it to be a kind of a weakening of Israel rather than uh, seeing how vibrant 
the Israeli society is. So they're going to test us again, and I think they will be uh, up to big surprises. Elijah, I'd like to move on from 2006, but before we do that, that was a 34-day war and Hezbollah fired some 4,000 rockets. I remember the Katusha rockets, not very accurate at all. Just quickly bring us up to date. How has Hezbollah's force, how has its weapons changed since 2006? Since 2006, Hezbollah fought, like I think Iran as well. There's nothing can be two things. First, the Israeli Air Force, uh, that is very modern and very powerful. Secondly, the unlimited support from the Americans. Because without the Americans, Israel will never engage in a war, because the war needs a lot of ammunition and a lot of money to top up the, uh, the dreadful economy in a state of war. Nobody would go to war without making sure that they will have a lot of money and they will be supported and they create a bridge as the Israelis always create a bridge with the Americans and Europeans this time in 2006 via, via Ireland to supply the Israelis lack of bombing because they need a lot of bomb. I mean, it's not easy to bomb for 14 days a, a small city like Gaza and to achieve the killing of 1,837 children and 1,023 women, it requires a lot of effort, really, and a lot of bombs. Now, we move on by saying that Hezbollah understood that, and to compensate, it needs a long-range missiles. And if we look at the distance between Nakura and Ilat, that is more or less 400 kilometers. That is, Hezbollah starts fighting and launching uh, missiles from the borders, which is not going to be the case because Hezbollah has moved outside the residential areas to take away from Israel the excuse of bombing civilians, which is, I don't think is going to happen because the Israelis will bomb the villages anyway. So because of that, Hezbollah needs only a distance to target Haifa and Tel Aviv, where all the concentration of the Israeli industrial, economic, and critical infrastructure is in Haifa and Tel Aviv, which are between 30 to 60 kilometers. And because of that, with all this precision, long-range missiles, Hezbollah needs to reduce the range of the missiles and to increase the explosive by having half a ton or one ton of explosive for each missile. Now, people will argue that the Iron Dome will intercept. We've seen how the Iron Dome, when flooded with missiles and rockets, is not capable of intercepting 100 percent, but it is always between 55 to 60 percent, which is more than enough for Hezbollah for 40 out of 100 missiles. And according to the Israelis' information, Hezbollah has 250,000 missiles and rockets, and all his rockets have been modified with a very cheap amount of money to precision rockets, and we're talking about here to from 7 to 25 kilometers only. So I don't think Hezbollah is underestimating the Israeli power, firepower. It is, of course, underestimating the army itself when fighting man-to-man, -man because we have seen the invincible army becoming very vulnerable after only a few hours of Hamas attack in against the 
uh, Gaza division and in few uh, hours only making so many hundreds of uh, soldiers as uh, hostages or prisoners, including four generals. So because of that and because the damage that is going to be inflicted on, is on Israel, I think Israel needs to think twice before thinking I'm going to start the uh, fighting against Israel. And I think it is doing so because for the first time in the history of Israel, it has accepted to fight on a demarcation line. It is not exceeding a certain kilometer and distance imposed by Hezbollah by a non-state actor against the most powerful army in the Middle East in just a few days. So the drone capability of Hezbollah, the anti-ship missiles, the precision missile that can hit all the energy platform, Haifa Harbor, all the airports in Israel will not only cripple the economy in Israel, but will destroy it totally. Even if Biden will inject $14 billion, we see today there are no more rooms and hotels in Israel. They are starting with tents. So for the first time, they are moved to become internally displaced. This is not something very usual for the Israelis not to find a place for them. And the war on the northern front hasn't started yet. OK, let me bring in, let me bring in uh, uh, Yuri there. Um, Elijah paints a picture of a very sophisticated military force. I'd like to um, bring up with you some reporting, which I think is interesting, uh, comments from the Israeli defence minister, Yoav Gallant. Uh, he seems to be worried about Hezbollah. He says Hezbollah is ten times stronger than Hamas. And also, and I'm going to quote where this comes from, the New York Times, it says that in the early days after October the 7th, um, Mr. Gallant, the defence minister, um, apparently told US Secretary of State Antony Blinken that he had advocated a preemptive strike on Hezbollah, but he was overruled by other Israeli um, officials. In your view, was he right? Uh, I wouldn't advocate a premeditated attack against Hezbollah. I would. Uh, deal uh, thoroughly with Hamas first uh, and uh, keep uh, Hezbollah at bay. I don't share uh, Elijah's uh, uh, pessimistic or, or, or bleak view of what's going to happen in a, in a war with Hezbollah for the simple reason that uh, if a war starts, uh, of course, it will begin with the barrage of uh, missiles and rockets, etc. And he's right. They're going to cause us a lot of damage. But in the few hours of such war, in the few hours, definitely in a day or two, uh, Israel will inflict on Lebanon such a, a dramatic uh, damage that uh, not only Lebanon or other Lebanese will uh, rise up in arms, but but the whole world will call for a stop. And then we will uh, insist on going on uh, until Hezbollah uh, uh, steps back. Uh, so I don't think it will be a protracted war like uh, in 2006. It will be very, very uh, dramatically uh, different from, uh, from, the, from the other. And as, as for what uh, Garland said, uh, yes, some people in Israel, probably Gallant himself, believe that uh, 
this is the right moment, and we shouldn't uh, repeat the mistake we did with Hamas, that we let it uh, grow and arm itself and, and become such a uh, huge threat to Israel, and we should deal with it now, because later it will be even more difficult. Um, I doubt it. As I said, uh, Israel should uh, keep uh, Hezbollah at bay, uh, and if dragged into war, uh, as I said, uh, the price Lebanon will pay uh, would be would be dramatic. And I said it with sorrow because, look, in the past we fought army army versus army, uh, and 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 but but they leave us no other choice because they really uh, take all of Lebanon as human shield. And this is what's going to happen to Lebanon, unfortunately. Okay, well, let's 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 bring in Nicholas on that. Um, Nicholas, what is your view? I mean, Lebanon is suffering already. It had that appalling um, port blast in in Beirut in 2020. It's suffering one of the worst of economic crises any nation in modern times has faced. Not everyone, definitely not everyone in Lebanon supports Hezbollah. They have very passionate supporters, but as you know, it's a very d divided society. What would be the reaction in Lebanon? across Lebanese society if his, Hezbollah did get involved? Well, again, I'm not Lebanese, so let's let Lebanese speak on behalf of themselves. But what we do know is previous, and there's a long history, that shows, I think, that Yuri is making a grave analytical error here in assuming that if Israel implements its operational fighting doctrine, known as the Dahieh Doctrine, which considers civilian populated areas and civilian infrastructure as lawful enemy combatants and a wide destruction. As they've said, they'll turn Lebanon into a parking lot. If they think that that's going to then turn other communities against Lebanon, we have example after example through the last 20, 30, 40 years of where actually the opposite happens. It leads to national solidarity and support against an outside enemy that's so widely destructive. So the notion that Lebanese are going to rise up wildly or massively and create a kind of military balance against Hezbollah is dangerous fantasy, in my view, simply because of the history. But again, Lebanese can speak to that better than I can. I think also there's a grave error here in thinking that it will just be a bunch of rockets, for example. This is not 2006. There are very likely going to be significant ground incursions by Hezbollah, which have been telegraphed and telescoped over the last 15 years. I'll also remind everyone that it was more than 10 years ago that Hezbollah successfully flew a drone undetected over Israel's main nuclear power facility in Demona undetected, and that was a long time ago. The okay. different let, let me, the, we're, we're getting near the end of our discussion, and I'd, I'd like to bring in Elijah one more time. If there is a ground intervention, a ground invasion by Israel, do you think Hezbollah will act? A, a brief answer, please. Um, I don't think it's going to be immediate reaction to interfere. On the contrary, I can share, share some insightful information through my sources within the group. So I think today... It is in Hezbollah's advantage for Israel to break into Gaza and to be engaged in Gaza. So the weaker the Israelis are, the lack of security the Israeli society has with its army and its intelligent uh, um, uh, forces, and the engagement in Gaza with all their might will give the possibility for Hezbollah to take advantage of the situation because it's an opportunity and then be in love.
even if it's going to be to a larger war that is going to be deadly for both. But the question is, is Israel ready for that? Is, are the Americans ready? Because they have also bases in the area and they are starting to be targeted. Is Israel uh, uh, prepared to have a mass in, internally displaced people being so deadly wounded that starting to crumbling already there is no support for the government, even if in case of war, everybody supports Netanyahu, but they can't wait the moment to kick him out of the government. So today, there is a lack of security in Israel after what happened in Gaza and outside Gaza in the first hours on the 7th of October. And this confidence is going to be deteriorated even more as 50,000 people have been evacuated in the last 72 hours from the borders with Lebanon, and more are going to be evacuated to where? Is this what the Israeli government promising to the Israelis, bringing them from all over the world to give them security? Of course not. And when the bombs start falling, nobody is going to count the bomb, but everybody is going to look at the screaming. And as your guest from Israel rightly said, they want the world to interfere to stop it because someone else needs to bring everybody down the tree because they stuck there and they know what are the consequences that are going to be detrimental for Israel for the first time in its life since 1948. Elijah, thank you very much. Thank you to our panel of guests. That's where we have to leave it. Our guests today were Yuri Dromi, Nicholas No, and Elijah Magnier. This episode was produced by Mohamed Al-Aishi, Abdul Rahman Shelik, Fungi Inouen, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound voice by Eli Elhani. The programme was edited by Alexander Kola, Zaina Bada, and Joe DeFries. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thanks for listening. Tune in on Monday for our next episode. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.